Welcome to Hire the Smile, the podcast on all things related to human resources in veterinary medicine. Join me, Katie Ardeline, and my colleague, Mike Pownell, as we discuss how to support and take care of the people who are instrumental in making your business a success. Great businesses share one common feature. They focus on taking care of their employees. They create businesses where everyone feels empowered and motivated to be the best they can be. These businesses want highly engaged employees and they do whatever it takes to make this happen because they know that highly engaged employees lead to more growth, client loyalty, and profitability. Veterinary medicine is a challenging profession, but it can be made so much easier if we build business cultures that attract and retain the best people. Subscribe to Hire the Smile for great discussions on taking care of the people that make us all better. Hi, welcome back to another episode of Hire the Smile, our discussions on all things related to human resources in the veterinary profession. And as always, I am joined by Katie Arline. Hey, Katie, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Mike. Thank you very much. It is the middle or towards the end of January in Ontario. It is unreasonably and unseasonably cold. It is bizarrely cold. Mm-hmm. But enough about the weather. As Canadians, we can talk about the weather all the time. And oh, true. <laughs> anyway. You had a great idea, so I'm going to give all credit of, let's start off the year doing a primer, the foundations of a great human resource program. What led you to think that? I was looking back at all the talks we talked about over the last couple of years now and realized that we haven't really talked about the real foundation of HR. You know, we talked about various components of HR and we talk a lot about leadership, but we haven't necessarily talked about the building blocks of culture. So we haven't talked about mission and vision, which includes purpose and values. I know that it can be a topic that's somewhat confusing. And if you Google this stuff, you get sort of different ideas about what the mission is and, you know, is the mission its own thing or is it comprised of purpose and values, et cetera, et cetera. So I thought it'd be good for us to go back to basics a bit and take everybody on this journey over the next couple of podcasts here, just with these really foundational topics. I think that's wonderful because they're foundational for a reason, because that's what everything else is built upon. And when we work with other practices, either we work with them when there's a problem there to shore up the foundations or to actually introduce the foundations. I think it's par for the course. Most businesses haven't really given any thought to this foundation. The one word I want to start with that you brought up is culture, because mm-hmm. we talk a lot about business culture. We talk about it. You and I talk a lot about it. Royal we. <laughs> yes. But I don't know if enough people talk about it because it's such a critical part. By the time you hear this, our Insights by Oculus newsletter went out, and I would recommend anybody, if it's our biweekly newsletter of interesting links, discussions about the veterinary profession that we send out every second Saturday. And the theme this week is just discussing our profession and you know how hard it is to attract people. And everybody talks about a vet or a staff shortage, and I argue that it's an actual retention problem. And one of the articles that I cited in this week's newsletter, so this is an article from Business Insider uh, dated January 13th, and it's saying low pay isn't causing people to quit their jobs, toxic workplace culture is. So they're talking about the great resignation. There's a record number of people quitting the jobs. And this survey looked at uh, 1.4 million Glassdoor reviews. Glassdoor is a a website that talks about 
what companies pay and how much people enjoy working at the companies. And they found that uh, a toxic culture is 10.4 times more likely to contribute to an employee leaving than compensation. Mm-hmm. And that culture includes failing to prioritize diversity, equity, and inclusion, unethical behavior, and workers feeling disrespected. And so that kind of tied into another article, as you mentioned, from Harvard Business Review. And they were talking about how do we get high-performing teams? And what they say, it's an article from uh, the authors are Greg Sattel and uh, Kathy Winchittel from May of last year. And I just found it was just relevant to what our discussion is right now because they talk about that individuals don't really lead to success in a team. It's, it's teams that get results. And because we have such diversity, and I think in our case, in the veterinary profession is such a wide ranging amount of roles. How do we improve performance when you have different kinds of veterinarians, different kinds of specialties, uh, different uh, layers of staffing? And basically what they say in this article is that you want a team that's diverse enough to be innovative, but cohesive enough to work together smoothly. And what their work has shown that the best way to do this is by building a culture of strong shared values. So that was a long detour coming back to. So talk about culture and the foundation of it. We talked about toxic culture, that is bad, but what's good culture? My cliche that I say is good culture is when everybody's on the bus and they're all moving in the same direction. They're at the company for something more than just a paycheck. Uh, they're at the company because, and they stay at the company because their beliefs and their values align with the companies. And that culture is sort of the shared beliefs, the shared, and I'm not talking obviously religious beliefs, but just sort of how the company does business, how they look at their clients, how they look at the product that they're selling or the service that they're providing and how they, they deal with their staff. So it's sort of, you know, you can say, okay, yes, we make widgets, but how do we make widgets and how do we keep, how do we motivate our staff to do that? So cultures, like you said, toxic culture can be so damaging, but a positive culture is such a, a coup and it's such a, a strong thing or a strong basis that a company can really build on. Mm-hmm. And I find uh, too often we don't spend enough time thinking as as practice owners going, this is the type of culture that I want. Mm-hmm. Like this, you know, and sort of like this is the kind of place where I'd want to work at. And I yeah. guess that was sort of the guiding light when we started our practice of like, I've worked in a lot of really miserable places. I didn't like it. I don't want to do that. Um, and so this is the culture we want. And this is before I knew what values and purpose and the, all that. But I just like, this is the culture. And so you get a culture that just happens because you don't necessarily hire the right people. Often practices permit poor behavior or toxic, miserable behavior from coworkers. And all of a sudden, one day you wake up, and you're like, wow, this isn't really where I wanted to be. And I'm working with a bunch of people I don't necessarily uh, like, respect. They're not on this bus, as you say. They're not on the same bus. Versus, all right, this is the culture I want. And I want to drive this business this way to have this, whatever your culture you want. And I think that's up to you. I'm not going to sort of say it's a good culture, but it's whatever the culture you want to have. Well, and I think when you say up to you, I think that's a really pointed, you know, it's a bit of a, has a couple of meanings because we talk about it 
more than once on this podcast is the importance of the leader leading the charge as far as setting an example of what the culture is. And this can absolutely happen in a negative or in a positive way. And definitely with the work that we do with the clients that we have, often we're called into a company or a practice where the culture is very toxic. And unfortunately, you can really see it in the leader of the practice and sort of how they deal with people. And often they just have never really had a mirror held up and they can't, you know, once you say, okay, well, your culture isn't great, but how are you showing up for your people? And once they realize how they're showing up, it, it really make a connection as far as, ah, I have a real big part in this, whether it's positive or negative. One of the things that we talk about when we work with clients is what are the systems that you need to have in place to have that culture that you want, the one that's up to you? And really, uh, there's three components. It's the mission and the vision. So I think this is the time for us to define, because you're right, in preparation for this podcast, I say, I'm just going to do a Google mission and vision. It's yeah. all over the place. It really is. I was uh, recently involved with another organization, and I was a participant in a strategy session, and they started talking about the purpose and mission and vision, and nobody knew what they were talking about. And so everybody was giving a different answer and insisting their answer was right. So I think let's start off with our definition of what mission and vision is. Up to you. You want to go for it, Katie? Yeah, for sure. So what I think of, what we think of as mission is what the company does and how it does it. So the mission is really the purpose of the company. and how you carry out the purpose is defined by the values. How does that sound? Does that align with what you think? Well, I think the mission is what we are as a company. The vision mm -hmm. is where we want to go. Where does this company want to go? Yeah. And uh, I look at the vision and I like using the framework. And this is sort of the framework we've adopted at Oculus from Jim Collins, who is the author of such outstanding business books like Good to Great and Built to Last and what have you. And he sort of says that, you know, you have to have the values, your core values, and that's what you are and the purpose of why you're doing what you're doing all leads to the vision, which is this big audacious goal of where the company needs to be in 10 years. And it's an inspiring goal that ties into the purpose instead of like you as a business owner saying, oh, I want to be a $10 million company or a $5 million, whatever. Nobody gets inspired about that other than the owner. But if you have that a vision that is inspirational, that ties into the values, that ties into the purpose, then people get on board and they, they want to show up and they get excited. Mm -hmm. But what I like about mission of defining what we are as a company and the values and the purpose as a business owner, I think it's the best tool to help select people that you want to work with. It's the best tool to help you make decisions. It keeps you true to who you are as a company. Mm -hmm. Something we always say, and it's such a basic tenet of this, is when you make decisions, whether it's a small decision or a big decision, whether it's a decision about who to hire or it's a decision about maybe you know branching out into a different line of business or offer a different crazy different service that you haven't provided before, you know, thinking about does this align with our mission? Does this align with those the purpose and the values? When those things mismatch, it's going to be a really uphill road. And ultimately, it's confusing for the staff as well. It's definitely mixed messaging. Yeah. And so I'll give you an example of how we use values. 
Right now, you and I are interviewing people for my own practice where you have to hire some new people. And so what we want to do is we want to hire people that have shared values. You can't make up values. We are who we are. And so if you have, uh, I'm just use an example, one of our core values at McKee Panel Equine Services is collaboration. So we want people who leave their egos at the door, want to collaborate, uh, realize that working together is the sum of the individual parts is greater. So you want to have people that want to work well together, as opposed to, I'm a lone wolf. I like working by myself. I'm a real loner. That's not going to work in our culture. Mm-hmm. And we have made mistakes in the past when we haven't adhered to our values when we hire people because all of a sudden you've got that square peg in the round hole. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that the people who don't fit are bad people or, you know, not professional or whatever, but, you know, there's plenty of different types of practice for plenty of different types of people. It's just, we know what, what you are trying to create at the key panel or you have created the key panel. and. Why wouldn't you select the people that fit? And I think the challenge is, especially right now, it's super tight labor market. So trying to find people who align with your values, it's like spotting a unicorn for sure. So, you know, you can pretty much, I mean, other than a DVM uh, or perhaps a registered vet tech, you can teach anybody to do anything. You know, skills are teachable, skills are learnable, skills are changeable, but values aren't. So if somebody doesn't have the values, it's nearly impossible to really have them be authentically adherent to them. Uh, You know, they can sort of pretend, but at the core, people can tell that they're not really on the bus. Yeah. And I think that's so true. It, It helps us in hiring to select the right people, but it also helps us in, in the way we do employee reviews is having a a great culture is so important that 50% of our reviews are based on how well people adhere to and demonstrate the values. Mm -hmm. And since we've implemented that, it's a having that focus on values because it really is the guiding point of how we make decisions, you know, how we're hiring people, how we're evaluating. And so how it looks like is that we have our four core values and then we'll have actions of like, this is what these values look like in real life. Mm-hmm. And we ask people, we do a 360 degree anonymous review where colleagues review colleagues. We'll get into the review system down the road. But what is amazing is there's not a better way of showing to people that values are important, that we're going to actually review your performance on how well you live up to the values. Mm-hmm. The thing about the values that's so useful as well beyond the review, but really thinking about performance management is they really set expectations for people as well. And it's easy enough to say, you know, hey, we need to talk about how you're placing catheters, but it's a little more difficult to say, hey, you're not a good teammate. So mm-hmm. when when you have those values spelled out, then you can say, hey, these are the core values. These are what you're being evaluated against. These are expectations. Yep. So it gives you a basis to be able to talk about or give constructive feedback on those soft skills, which are really difficult to talk about sometimes. For sure. I always think about in our own practices, you know, one of our core values is evolve. You know, I think the only constant in our business or our practice is that change is inevitable. And so if we're going to hire somebody that just likes to, the way things are, they, they don't want to challenge themselves. They don't want to Bro. push against the, the, the boundaries. They're going to struggle. They, like they really are going to struggle. Mm-hmm. And that's fine because not everybody loves change as much as we do. And 
And, but the, you know what? Better to know that up front. Absolutely. You know, what a horrible thing uh, to bring somebody on, on almost, I want to say false pretenses. But if you have somebody that, you know, and it could be situational just because of this, the going through COVID and all that, they just don't want a lot of change. And you bring them on and then boom, one day, you know, one year we're doing this and then we're expanding into doing that and we're trying this. It could make somebody's head spin. And that's not fair to them. So it's it's not just what's good for the business, but we want to match the right people and not set them up for failure just because our values are different from theirs. Absolutely. And maybe sometimes people don't know either, to be fair. You know, they say, oh, yeah, I'm good with change. But then the scope of change that you're presenting is just way beyond anything that they're comfortable yeah. with. And that's fair as well. But that's something, you know, we could work on. Change is a difficult thing. And it's not just something that happens with the snap of the fingers. There's steps involved and sequential and feedback and all that stuff. So maybe you can help people develop that. But if it's something that they're diametrically opposed to and they're never going to be comfortable with change, then it can definitely be a pickle. Yeah. And I think values are a good one to have to start with a foundation is because mm-hmm. that becomes your moral benchmark. Mm-hmm. And, and so we have so many companies and you know we see companies that get into trouble I don't want to pinpoint any, but there's been so many in the news lately. And so I don't want to name names directly, but we all heard of companies that are getting caught on bad behavior and they, and they tout, they're like, oh, we're all about this. And, you know, and they bring up all their great attributes, but obviously they're not living them. Mm-hmm. The example that as everybody uses is Enron, who was <laughs> caught up in about, I guess, 20 years ago and just financial malfeasance, let's say. And they had all these values, but they didn't live it. So I think that comes back to what you're talking about as the leader of the practice. You're the one that has to show up and demonstrate the values. And why I like the values as this, you know, this moral guidepost is like you make a decisions and if it fits with your values, you do it. If it Mm -hmm. doesn't, you have to have the courage of your convictions to say, you know what? It's not worth it. That's not who we are. If I say we want us to be one thing and we do the other, you know, who's going to trust me as a leader anymore? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that trust is hard to gain and it's so easily lost. Uh, and I, I think that sometimes people don't realize that. You can mess up and you can apologize, but the trust, you have to earn it back. It's cheesy, but it's true. So uh, better to be on top of things as far as, being that strong leader and having those values really entrenched in your own mind. And you have to believe in them at yep. the end of the day as well. It's, it's not just for the staff, it's for you as well. And pe- you're under a microscope and people notice right away if you're not living up to those values. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. A question that I'm sure people are, are thinking of right now. So as you know, values, I'm the owner of a practice, I'm the practice manager. Are these just my values that I introduce to the company? How do we develop the core values for a practice? Well, surprise, surprise, uh, it's best done with the people who are at your practice, (laughs) Uh, you know, not just you as the leader. That said, I think if you are proactive and you are starting a practice, you could have an idea of what you want your values to be. You know, you have one or two staff members, you're a solo practitioner, you're just starting to grow. It's a perfect time to really entrench those with um, maybe one or two people that you trust. But otherwise, uh, the ideal way is to have this be a group effort. 
Uh, I mean, the staff know the values of the, you know, the implied values, even if they're not written down, they understand what makes the company successful. So whether you have a focus group with some longtime employees or mixture of short-term and long-term employees, we get everybody in a room. Uh, it's, it's important to go through this exercise as a group, mm-hmm. not just to get a diversity of opinions, but also if people are involved in setting the values, they're going to have so much more ownership and believe in them so much more as well. Absolutely. Because it's not just you putting the plaque up on the way to the bathroom. It's them being involved in coming up with these. You just brought up two great points. The most recent one was that these values just can't be something that you hang on a wall and ignore. I mean, mm-hmm. this is something you refer back to all of the time. You know, one of the things that we do when we acknowledge people within our organization is, you know, we have gold stars. So when people go above and beyond. And what we try to do is bring them back to one of our core values of how mm-hmm. they've demonstrated or really exemplified acting out on a value. So, you know, the values are always around. The other thing you said about, you know, if you're a new practice or a growing practice, there is no better time to Mm -hmm. do this exercise than now before you get too big, because it's so hard. You go to a practice and the culture's not what they want it to be. Then you've got to go and deconstruct sometimes decades of behavior. The people are you know, you can sit there and say, okay, these are our values. And then you look at all your employees and you're like, yikes, like there's a good number of them that don't share the values or don't embrace these values. Well, now what are we going to do? Mm-hmm. So better to start off with this plan than try to have to modify things later on. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, and you might think, oh, I'm small. I don't need it, but it, you absolutely need to think of the, these things at the beginning. And I can understand, like you, you always talk, tell the story about you and Dr. McKee, when you, you got your first order from uh, the vet supply company, you're like, holy crap, what are we going to, this is happening. What are we going to do with all this? That is the time to think about what we want to build. Uh, you know, you might be distracted with all of the practical stuff, your licensing, and, you know, setting up a, a truck or setting up your pharmacy or, or your practice or whatever. But it's almost more as or more important to start thinking about your culture right away. Well, I would say, I mean, it wasn't until about seven, eight years into our practice that I sort of got in tune into it. And then you look back on, you're like, oh man, the first seven years could have gotten so much better (laughs) if we sort of had this from day one, you know, but you learn. And so there's no regrets on it, but I guess that's why we get so passionate talking about this to other people is like, don't do the screw-ups that I did. Well, and I think uh, this is a slight tangent, but I think when you're small is a great time to start thinking about how to be a leader. Yep. You don't hire people and you start building this ugly fungus of a culture. You want it to be deliberate as close to the beginning as possible. Uh, It's just so much easier. I think we've hammered that home like five different times today, but uh, it's so important because trying to untangle it once it's tangled up and it's uh, an ugly culture is is really hard to do. I'm less and less on Facebook, but when I am on Facebook, I'll look at one of the veterinary practice owners groups. And I would say one of the most common challenges facing a practice owner is, you know, they'll say, oh, my staff is dysfunctional or... They don't respect me. I mean, there's a litany of of complaints and it is valid and justified. And uh, so many of them, you're just like, boy, if you were just more 
thoughtful, methodical, had a system in place from day one or even year three, you probably wouldn't be in the position you're in right now. Ooh, and that just made me think of something equally as important is when you're coming and you're thinking about bringing on partners in your organization. Oh, yeah, has partners. Holy too. moly, this is the time that you need to make sure that your values align. Because think about the, you know, we talk, we go back to thinking about leadership and we think about needing to set an example. You can set a terrible dysfunctional example as well as easily as you can set a good example. In practice, we're like, yeah, it's super dysfunctional. The team doesn't work well. And then you dig a little bit deeper into the partnership and you're like, well, yeah, I can see why. I challenge people that when you bring on partners, why are you doing it? Are these people who really share your values and share your vision for the company? You know, it all is ties together so um, neatly (laughs) when we talk about it like this. But these are considerations. We've seen some wonderful partnerships that start right at the beginning. And then we see somewhere just like this was doomed to fail from the beginning. So it's something to think about for sure. No, absolutely. So we're talking about values and I think we've pretty well have covered values. We want to talk about purpose and vision and those are so intertwined. I'm going to suggest we talk about those in the next episode. Agreed. Because purpose is, that's a tough one, Uh, but it's so valuable. It's, Really, that's a day-to-day reminder. Our purpose in our own business is something I literally reference it once a day, uh, talking to staff or getting customer reviews or what have you. That to me is, that is my North Star almost. So, so we'll come back to that. Good idea. So let's do our wins and fails. Ooh, baby. All right. Let's start with you for the win. <laughs> for the win, let me start with a fail. We got All right. Okay. So my fail is... This happened back in late December. So there's an online mortgage company called Better.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, their CEO, Vishal Garg, uh, got 900 employees on a Zoom meeting, which to me is like crazy. How do you even have that much bandwidth? But anyway, <laughs> 900 employees on a Zoom meeting and fired them all via Zoom all at the same time. Uh, and obviously there was immediate backlash with this. And like any good dysfunctional CEO, he defended himself initially and said, well, some of these people are stealing from the company and they're not working and et cetera, et cetera. He then apologized, the good old really sincere apology once he realized that he can't talk his way out of it or justify it. Uh, But several of the company's executives had already resigned. And I, this second part is the part to me that's the most amazing is that this guy, this isn't his first infraction. He sent out abusive emails in the past where he called people dumb dolphins. Uh, he dolphins are to, smart. I know. Well, he said that they're dumb dolphins who gets caught in nets, fishing nets. That's what he was saying. Uh, he threatened to set a former business partner on fire, which is a super classy move. Uh, and he insulted potential investors or investors calling one sewage. And employees had spoken out about the company's toxic culture in the past as well. So this is a guy who, uh, you know, if past behavior is the best predictor of future behavior, the writing would have been on the wall with this guy. But this is just such a a crazy fail. Like, I can't imagine in my mind thinking that it was okay to fire 900 people simultaneously via Zoom. (laughs) I can't, I can't wrap my head around it. So, you know, what the worst thing about it is. I brought that up as a fail maybe last year or the year before in another company. And it's sort of like, 
you know, when we got into the Zoom age of COVID, is has nobody ever learned from other people's bad Seriously. moves? Like, yeah. like, this is not the first time this happened. I know. Somebody sent me this link back in December when it happened, and I was like, oh, yeah, I've read that. And I was like, oh, no, this is a new one. This is a new one. Yeah. <laughs> like, what the heck? My uh, fail, I, I'm pivoting because I told you my fail, but I'm doing a new one because. Okay. Yeah. So talking about, and this goes back into values and to you as a leader have to represent the team and everybody lives up to it. Uh, earlier this month, the minority owner of the Golden State Warriors basketball team, minority stakeholder, and this guy is a big uh, tech bro, runs a venture capital firm, said on his podcast that really nobody cares about the deadly crackdown on the Uyghurs in, in China. And basically said that, you know, thinking about human rights abuses outside of the United States was a luxury belief. So that went over really well. And, you know, of course, they have to backtrack. Of course, you know, it's, the, oh, I, you, I didn't mean what I say and ah, blah, 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 blah. So, again, it's coming down to core values. <laughs> like, obviously, you know, this guy's core values didn't really correspond to the rest of the team because or, or their fan base, humanity, <laughs> whatever. But it's just like, what are you thinking? He was born in Sri Lanka, moved to Canada when he was a child, now lives in California. And he says, I recognize that he came across as lacking empathy. Oh, what a bro. <laughs> I just like. <laughs> so that's my fail. Like, just, you just I just learned the word empathy and I realized that I came across like I didn't have any. <laughs> you know, it's sort of like you but basically a communication specialist said we're in trouble. We're going to have to whitewash this and fix this up. We got to, we got to cleanse this. Just not wrong, 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 wrong. Anyway, what's your win? Wins. Okay. So my win uh, is, and I talked about this before in the context of Iceland, but there's a recent CBC, which is our national broadcaster here in Canada, the CBC article about how a company in Toronto has adopted a four-day work week. So the article talks a little bit more about other places that have adopted a four-day work week. I think it is funny and ironic that this makes like national news when this is something that you've done at your practice for like the last six years, but I digress. But I think that uh, the interesting thing was the CEO had an epiphany in this past summer that, you know, she's been focused on growth for the last 10 years. And this summer she's like, actually, maybe this isn't what matters most in life. And I want to take care of my staff more and, and make sure that they can take care of their families and they have space for their families. So she went down to the four day work week. Uh, you know, nobody lost pay, but uh, I, I thought it was such, just such a win that people thinking about alternative ways of constructing work is starting to catch on and starting to, to gain more acceptance. That's wonderful. That is great. So my wind as I said at the top of the podcast, you and I have been interviewing some people. And just because of my position, I, I don't interview as often as I have. But just recently, I, I wanted to get more into it. And so we've interviewed three people so far for a role at my company. And all three were exceptional. And all three really enjoyed talking. And it just struck me, you meeting these young people who are starting their careers, finishing university, their talents, their excitement. There's a lot to be discouraged about in the world right now, but these are people that are really 
excited. And it's sort of like you're, you're courting somebody in that mm-hmm. it's exciting because, you know, how long will they be with this company? What will the trajectory be? How will they grow and develop? And I just think of people that have been with us for years, yourself included, and just how people's roles changed and, and the road we have taken. And it's just, it's just so exciting. Potential. And it's such a responsibility too, because you're thinking like, wow, you know, these are young people whose parents have invested in them in a great upbringing, invested in school. Now they're going out into the world. And I just look at that as a business owner of like, okay, you owe these people something. You don't want to bring them into an environment that it's going to discourage them, frustrate them. I mean, yes, of course, life is full of discouragements and frustrations. But I mean, just because you're a bad business, you have a toxic workplace, like what an opportunity to inspire and make people flourish rather than get them cynical, burnt out, discouraged. So I just, that to me is my win. I just, it was just such a great feeling. You know, you're like, I wish I could hire all of them. We don't have all the positions, but it's just, Mm -hmm. it's wonderful that that enthusiasm and excitement. That's my way. Absolutely. It's a good one. I agree. Well, thanks, Katie. I look forward to coming back and talking about purpose and vision. And uh, we'll have to make sure we give enough time for purpose because that's a, that's a one, that's a handful to get around. That's a big one for sure. Yeah. But so important. So, all right. Until then. All thanks, right. Everybody. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hire the Smile, brought to you by Oculus Insights. Our goal at Oculus is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success. This episode was produced and edited by Heather McPherson. Special thanks to Alyssa Rubenstein for doing the amazing marketing that she does for Oculus. You can see what we are up to by checking us out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and our website, oculusinsights.net. If you think you could use a business advisor or performance coach, go to advicebyoculus.com. See you next time.